As I talk about food and health and nutrition on the podcast every week, I have become more and more aware of my responsibility in the language that I use because a lot of people uh, who consume this stuff online might not have the same relationship with food as I do and it might sometimes be problematic, unhealthy and even be developing into an eating disorder. I wanted to talk to a wonderful lady called Laura Phelan who is a body image and eating disorder therapeutic coach and she's the founder of Phelan Well. You can find her online at feelingwell.com. She's about to talk to me about how food bloggers can speak in the most helpful way about food, about the joy of cooking. I'm also talking to her about how people who may not have the best relationship with food all the time or with their bodies, how they can deal with all the food stuff that they see online, all the health stuff, all the talk about calories and protein and nutrition and workouts, how they can take the best stuff from that but continue to have a friendly, healthy and helpful relationship with their body. So please welcome to the podcast, Laura Phelan. like to thank you so much for for coming on and talking to me oh, on the for me. yeah absolutely like you were the first person I thought about talking to when this topic kind of came to mind because mm-hmm. something I've been quite aware of when I do a you know a social media especially but also do YouTube and podcasts talking about food nutrition health uh, dif- different nutritious values of food and kind of getting a bit technical with stuff sometimes. I mean, my uh, my reason for doing this is because I, I love cooking and I kind of got into it because I was diagnosed with endometriosis. Yeah. And um, mm-hmm. there were certain things that I kind of reacted to. So I tried to cook all my food from scratch to basically learn what stuff I could eat, what I couldn't eat, what I reacted to just you know physically in my body Uh, and that's the idea of the from scratch body it's not about like how your body looks when you cook from scratch or anything it's just all about how the body feels how you react to things Um, but that really got me into kind of what actually is in the food like what can we choose to put in the food that's really nutritious and makes us feel great and helps with our anxiety and all those other things like mentally as well But yeah, you do get a bit technical with it and you can get, you know, when you get interested in something, you can get a bit obsessed with it and you can forget that that can potentially be triggering for some people. There's a lot of talk about food. There's a lot of talk about, you know, uh, calories and all these different things that this is good for you, this is bad for you, whatever. So for someone like me who's never had an eating disorder, I suddenly realized uh, that there's a humongous responsibility in, in the language potentially that you use. Um, I also watched uh, this documentary about uh, Belle Gibson, the Australian uh, influencer who was lying about, yeah. you know, having cancer and stuff and the people yeah. who um, started following her. And it was quite a lot of people who later realized that they maybe had an unhealthy relationship with their bodies, but it was kind of disguised to themselves as being really into health, being really into nutrition. So 
The reason I'm talking to you, uh, just first to introduce you, you are an eating disorder and body image therapeutic coach. Um, yeah. You have a mouthful. Yes, it is <laughs> a mouthful, but it's a fantastic job and, and so, so Thanks. important. Um, and you have uh, got into that amazing profession uh, by mm -hmm. uh, having your own eating disorder and, and recovering from mm -hmm. that. Are you happy to share a little bit about how that was for you, how that kind of started? Because I did see that you said that it kind of started like that for you, that it seemed like a healthy eating and exercise regime. And then when did you kind of discover that it was something very different? Yeah, totally. And it's, you know, oh gosh, it, it feels like another lifetime ago, but because I do it in my work, it's still something that I talk about all the time. Um, and it did, it really did start like that. And it's not like this for everyone, but I think it's about 35% of people that like develop an eating disorder. It will have been from a diet and a diet gone wrong. And I think, you know, there's such a difference in like empowered eating and like nutrition knowledge and taking care of your body than dieting which is is often quite quick it's quite mindless it's quite obsessive it's very restrictive and for me I was so young I was 13 and me and my friend like discovered workout DVDs and you know what seemed very innocent at the time but in the hands of someone so young isn't um and trigger warning if anyone's listening to this I'm not going to go into too many details that will be like alarming but you know special k diet was the thing that then we're talking 15 years ago and it was so easy to to do and to grasp and if anyone's listening that grew up like catholic we had lent as well and this was all kind of coming up and I found myself using it as excuses to just you know oh, I'm just on lent and I'm just cutting out xyz and I'm just going to tried this and I'm just being healthier and I'm just going to work out more and seemingly what's wrong with that you know like a teenage girl wanting to be healthy and be mindful of what she eats seemingly nothing wrong I hadn't grown up in a household where like my mum was a dieter or anything like we'd always been pretty chill around food all of that sort of stuff so there was no real warning signs or red flags and because I was doing it with my friend it seemed more like something to do and I think my parent was probably like happy that I wasn't just trying to go out all the time and like you know snog boys that came later so at that stage it started out super innocently but I later on learned I'm a lady of extremes <laughs> that was my pattern and it really quickly developed into something very obsessive and you know where my friend would like happily have a day off or you know eat what she wanted I was getting further and further into these restrictive patterns these exercise patterns and honestly it felt like it kind of um swept the rug from under me a little bit it, it started off as something so innocent and before I knew it I was consumed with thoughts of calories and restriction and exercise and really became about control it became about this way of coping and living as you know can be confusing as a teenage girl your hormones are changing your body is changing you're starting your menstrual cycle around that age you might start feeling differently about the other sex or the same sex you're in school and and that's a tricky time as well you really don't know who you are that classic who am I like who am I developing into and for me it felt like this common known denominator that I was able to rely on day in and day out and whilst at the time there wasn't anything really particularly hard going on in my life you know like when we look at our lives and think was there a trauma or was there a significant incident 
And at the time my disordered eating developed, there wasn't. Now there would have been stuff in the past that I would later go on to realize in therapy, but at that moment, I was pretty chill. So it really did feel like it started as a diet gone wrong and then as a way to cope and manage with all the other things in my life that maybe were uncomfortable or scary at the time and it just felt like this really safe coping mechanism that unfortunately ended up making me very very ill um so you got you got pretty bad with it you realized that you mm -hmm. had developed anorexia is that right yeah so Mm -hmm. how did you for you I know it's going to be so different for everybody but how did you get out of it I mean there were so many stages but like the earliest stage I suppose which is important and was hard as a 14 year old because when I started to get better was sort of a year later um because I think there was there were so many people telling me that there was something wrong but I think when you're that age you kind of think you know it all yeah. and you know nothing <laughs> yeah <laughs> not in a like patronizing way but you don't like I didn't know anything I thought I knew everything I thought I was much older than I was and that you know I knew what I was doing And I think it was when it started to really impact me mentally and it started to impact the things that were quite normal to do, like go out with your friends, like be able to be present at school and engage in the things that you liked. I was being pulled out of school all the time. I was falling asleep. Mm -hmm. I was constantly freezing. And I, you know, would be rushing home to make sure that I could eat the thing that I had planned for that day. You know, all of these behaviours, which that was just my life. And I remember going on a family holiday that year to Ireland and that was my real turning point because I'd seen people I hadn't seen in a few months, some of them a year. Um, I'd physically changed a lot. Now not eating or not all eating disorders are visible changes. I do want to say that mine was and that was obviously quite a um, startling thing for people because you could visibly see the difference and that I was quite unwell. Um, And that trip was when I started to realise, you know, like I was very weak the trip even just flying there was a lot family members reactions um and I think that was when I started to realize like wow this is really terrifying um and I remember actually thinking at one point you know they kept saying you know this could kill you you need to be sectioned and I think I started to realize that and that was a really terrifying moment because I didn't feel like I could get better I was like I don't really feel strong enough I I don't know how to fight it but that was also my turning point mm-hmm. where I think I snapped finally and was like, oh my God, I'm 14. <laughs> and I am literally looking at my life as potentially coming to an end if I keep going on this wow. path. Um, because of how serious it can get when you're not treating and looking after your body and feeding it. So my turning point was really bleak, but also really powerful because it was from that moment on that like for the next three to four years, I just worked constantly to be recovered and be confident in who I was and heal all the stuff that had come up in that process well I mean it's it's really terrifying to hear you know that it got so bad but in a way I think for someone of that age as you say you kind of think you know it all and you hear these words you hear all the stuff Mm. that your parents say to you and you you're like yeah yeah sure that's what you think um Mm. but when you see the physical evidence that you actually you feel fatigued just flying somewhere just going somewhere and people are kind of shocked seeing you having changed so much yeah you're like okay these are actions the these are physical exactly. things that are happening to me um so yeah my follow-up question is really because I feel like I've often heard and I don't know if this is true and I'm curious to hear from you I feel like I've often heard you don't really fully recover from from an eating disorder and that Mm -hmm. you kind of you learn to live with it or you kind of is that correct or is that a bit of a myth can you fully recover 
yeah, I really like to squash that myth. And there's a few reasons. Um, first of all, being the reason that I have fully recovered. And it's not something that I ever thought I would be able to do. Um, but it's also now something I've seen my clients do. And I think that, you know, I wouldn't say it if it wasn't true for me and for others. And also, I think it's a really damaging belief to think that you can't. Now, I know that we, it's often compared to other things like, you know, well, alcoholism, you're an alcoholic, but something like alcohol is different because you don't need it to survive. Whereas with food, you do. So therefore, I feel like the amount of work you do to heal your relationship with food gets you can get you to a point where you are fully recovered. And it may be for many years that it's management. Yeah. And for some people, unfortunately, it is management. The recovery rate isn't super high. I have to say, like, it's quite low. For anorexia, it's only about 20%, which is really sad. Um, I do think we can see that number shift a lot with the right intervention. So it is possible. The rate of recovery isn't super high. But I always say to every single person that I see and come to contact with, like what me what you know why can't you be the 21% or in that 20% or there's nothing to say that they can't because if like anyone can just do it if they keep going and they have the right tools and that's what I've seen happen and it's what I believe that's fantastic that's yeah. that's really positive to hear and that's why I wanted to ask you because to me you know it it seems in every way that you've recovered and you are able to to use your fantastic energy now to to help other people which is mm -hmm. just the most amazing way to to use what's happened to you so you. the the two main questions that I want to look at for this number one is for for me as a food blogger for people yeah. like me what is it that we can do when we talk about food every week on mm. social media we share photos of food um and for me i don't really share photos of myself but some people do that too you know mm -hmm. themselves with food and that kind of thing what can we do to be helpful to people who are either managing you know trying to recover from an eating disorder or people who might not even know that they have an eating disorder yet, but are consuming all, all of this um, content online every week. What can we do to to help that relationship be as healthy as absolutely possible? Do you know what it is with food? Is It's not like talking about food that's the issue at all, because food's a beautiful thing. It's a massive part of our culture. It's a massive part of like everything. Holiday season connections, social outings, like there's so much it's about. It really, the only thing that I really see that can be problematic is when we put this moral compass on it. So when we get into the goods and the bads and the shoulds and the shouldn'ts and the black and the white, because at the end of the day, like food is food. And, you know, if we look at in terms of like through a lens of like privilege, obviously, as well, some people only have access to certain amounts of food and that keeps them alive. And yes, it might not be for optimum health, but for them, that's what they can. Um, so looking at food as as a whole and actually being like the benefits of it like what it brings like joy nourishment energy and then also understanding that of course there's an element for health and if you have something like I was listening to an episode of yours earlier with your endometriosis my mum also had that that's also completely understandable when you have something like that food is going to have to be a part of your care management and that's a kind of pro-health behaviour, right? That's a behaviour that is about enhancing your well-being and enhance how you feel in yourself. Very, very different to someone saying, don't eat X because it's bad for you, or don't eat X so that you can have a six-pack. Look, that's what someone wants, body autonomy, fair enough. But is that really a message that we need to be sending when food is 
something that we should be able to enjoy and something that should, I think, benefit every single one of us really differently. I think it means something different to every one of us. And we don't need to, it's almost like, how can we share like maybe how we like to eat or what we like to eat in a way that isn't so influencing of others having to do the same Mm. without us knowing what's going on for them. So with the kind of people in my community, I wouldn't share something like what I eat in a day or even many recipes, not because it's not something, I mean, I'm not, I'm not super passionate. I'm not super passionate. I love to eat, but I'm not a great cook, to be honest. Um, but I'd be conscious of those people going, oh, so I should eat what she's eating then, exactly. for example. Yes. But when it's quite fun, and I think when it's your thing and you're sharing it from your message and your stance, as long as it's not like everyone else should do as I do, yeah. then there really isn't too much problem with it. And I think it's important that individually we take responsibility for what our triggers are. Um, and really it's it's about the work that we do together in ourselves and what we feel to manage those feelings as well as the responsibility of those sharing so it is there's like a two-prong approach I think exactly so that kind of leads me on to that side uh, the other question which is people who are suffering from an eating disorder or maybe have yeah. in one way or another a, a slightly unhealthy relationship with food uh, and can be triggered by a lot of things that they they see and read yeah what is the best way do you think one size obviously doesn't fit all and you can probably help people one-to-one uh you know yeah. as, as a coach but what would you say as, as some general advice to to people to kind of deal with all of the stuff that comes you know if they're getting a lot of like food and health stuff um to you know shown to them on social media for instance how how can they manage mm. that in the best way so first of all like taking ownership of the fact that it is difficult for you or maybe it is causing a trigger and instead of looking at it and keep letting yourself get annoyed and wound up and obsessed in that in that loop maybe just going okay I'm going to take a conscious step back I'm going to unfollow those pages I'm going to mute I'm going to follow accounts that are feeling more aligned with me right now like you are you know your own boss in terms of you don't need to look at those pages and I think it's important that we ask ourselves like why am I looking like what am I getting from it am I going on and going oh hate that or am I going on and going that makes me feel really bad you would you let someone come into your house and talk about things that you really don't like or agree with or that make you feel good it's the same with social media but it's also important that you don't go on other people's pages and expect them to cater to your every need like that's where we really need to have individual responsibility around but that's what their interests are they don't need to be mine um I think that's a really really important thing that we need to to acknowledge more yes absolutely what I find often uh, that's kind of been one of the reasons uh, aside from the endometriosis and my own kind of journey with cooking uh, is uh, that often on social media we do kind of go to extremes Um, maybe a lot of people are kind of like you said that you go to go to extremes sometimes because a lot of accounts are all about the indulgence and it's all about the naughty you know uh, food Mm -hmm. and no food Mm -hmm. is naughty but you know like that kind of thing that where they just go for sort of the food porn kind of thing where it's all about the sugar and the cream and the cheese and stuff and they really go all in with that Or you have the other side of it where it's, you know, showing pictures side by side, showing the different amounts of calories and stuff. And 
to me, I find that quite frustrating because there's a whole area in the middle there where we can just kind of be excited about food and um, and have different types of food and enjoy it, you know, and share share our joy for it. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's it. It's like, how can you share the joy? How can it not become about a this or that approach? And, and how can it also just be like each to their own? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Can you share just a, a little kind yeah. of taster of how you would work with somebody if they came to you and said, you know, for instance, if they say, you know, I think I have I think potentially I have orthorexia, you know, like an unhealthy, you know, where yeah. it starts thinking about health and, and exercise, but it's gone to a point where it's actually maybe not healthy. How would you work with somebody like that? Yeah, definitely. And that's that would be like the majority of my clients. Majority of people are really late down the line of recovery and they can't seem to be unstuck or they're people that are on the cusp of developing something more serious. Mm. And the first thing I do with people is we look at their food history and their food story, but not just like, what have you been eating since you were three? It's like, how have you felt about food your whole life? What were the messages that you got about food and your body? Because they, they align with each mm. other. Um, what were your parents' beliefs around foods? Like, what was the kind of food that was on the table for you? Like, some people had it abundantly, others didn't. Yeah. Um, some people relate it to finances, others relate it to Friday night dinners that they were forced to go to. So it's actually looking at their relationship and unique story with how they grew up around food and the traditions that they had and the rules or belief systems that were in place. You know, if someone had a parent that was constantly dieting, it's very, very, very likely that they're going to have been impacted by that in some way. And that's no blame to parents. We're all doing our best with what we know. But that is something I would look at because then it's like, okay, how do we start bringing you back into you and what you believe and what feels good for you as opposed to how you've been brought up around food and then we start looking at behavioral change in the belief work so behavioral change is like what are the things that you're doing that are maybe disordered or unhealthy or keeping you in these negative patterns and what are the beliefs associated with those things so what's the belief associated that you should only x y and z how can we break through of that belief and we do a lot of work kind of experimenting with pushing their boundaries of what they thought was normal and seeing how much better they feel. Mm. If someone comes to me and says, um, oh, you know, I have a really good relationship with food unless I like have to go out in the evening or whatever, that's something where I might question them and say, okay, so like, where is that causing an issue in your life? And they would say, you know, it's causing me to not be social. I miss out on events. I can't have fun with my friends. And that's where we'll look at, okay, so maybe that's something then that isn't so healthy and that we need to start tackling so that you can enjoy your life more. Yes, brilliant. I love that. So if people wanted to find you and talk to you and, and potentially have sessions with you, where yeah. can they find you? How do they approach you? Yeah, so on social media, it's This Is Laura Feeling on Instagram. That's where you can find me. My website is feelingwell.com. So that's my surname is P-H-E-L-A-N. Um, and I do a range of things. So one-to-one -one longer programs, sort of one-off breakthrough sessions, and then group programs as well. So yeah, if it resonates, just send me a DM, send me an email, and we can have a chat. And I think it's so easy with this stuff to think what everyone feels funny around food and everyone has hang-ups about their body but you really shouldn't have to because it's really life limiting so I would yeah. say that if you're listening and you resonate with anything we've said I know it can feel really scary and uncomfortable but you don't have to live like that 
Um, and I think that you can be empowered to take that decision if it feels right. I love that. I absolutely agree with that. I think that yeah. we can all get to a point where it doesn't have to be complicated at all mm-hmm. or painful. Um, as you say, yes, we all have emotional connections with it, but it, it doesn't have to be a hindrance in your life. So definitely, I want to echo that. Contact Laura if uh, if you think thank that you. it might be worth having a conversation. And thank you so much, Laura, for talking to me. Uh, that's really, really helpful. And I hope it will be helpful to the listeners as well. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was great thank to meet you. you.